this edition of Whosology. Matt and Justin first welcome co-host of the First Men's Podcast, Phil Doucette. His podcast discusses everything revolving around NBA Top Shot, and we get his take on how the trade deadline affected the NFT platform. Phil also provides great insight as to how he got involved with NBA Top Shot, the future of digital collectibles, and more. Then Matt and Justin break down everything concerning the NBA trade deadline. And now, Phil Desette. He is the co-host of the First Mint Podcast. We now welcome Phil Doucette onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Phil? Great. Thanks for having me, guys. Happy to be here. Well, Phil, um, lots to talk to you about. And since the trade deadline has just concluded as of the recording of this podcast, um, and your your podcast and our website, too, covers NBA Top Shot, Um, just want to get your opinion on how the trade deadline affects NBA Top Shot. I mean, this is, I don't know if you know, it's been around a year yet. So this is kind of like a new frontier. So can you kind of tell us what it's been like today in terms of the trade deadline and NBA Top Shot? Yeah, so it's really strange because the market only moves the way people want, want it to move, right? So people are there anticipating trades. People are advising others to buy the rumors and then sell the news was the, was the saying of the day, right? So if you hear a player is going to be traded, go and buy him. When it's officially announced that he's being, he's been traded, sell him off for twice the price that he went for originally, right? But why though? Why are people buying players that get traded? Nothing special happens to those moments. I mean... He changes teams, but I mean, was it his last shot as part of that current team? No, right? So it's a little weird to see how the market works, but if you do learn how the market works, it can be profitable because, I mean, we saw it all day. People were buying all sorts of players. I even retweeted a fake Kyle Lowry trade earlier today uh, because a lot of the Toronto media was duped by the fake Woj, and a lot of the Toronto media put out a, a Kyle Lowry trade for Kyle Kuzma and I, I had it out there for only 30 seconds. And then I have people sending me DMs saying that they loaded up on Kyle Lowry moments with the Raptors. So oh, man. Um, just to give you an example, right? That's that's how I mean, that's how crazy it is. <laughs> Hard um, to explain. Yeah. Uh, Phil, take us back to the beginning. And how did you first hear about NBA Top Shot? And then when you first heard about the concept, were you like skeptical? I know I was. I mean, I've done, done a complete 180. I went from completely thinking it was ridiculous to now I'm trying to get my first pack. Um, so my mind has just been completely changed within the last, I would say, month or so. But tell us your first experience with NBA Top Shot and how you got deeply involved with it. I, it started with, so I run a I run a small podcast. I've been running a podcast that covers the NBA 2K League, which is the video gaming league, the esports. Yeah. Uh, I've been covering that since the first season. So I have my own podcast called the Expose Podcast, which is kind of a the touchy side of things, not just reporting on games, but, you know, the, all the side drama and stuff. And my brother uh, contacted me, you know, interested in, in, in having his own podcast. So he asked me a bunch of advice. Uh, Not really advice. He kind of asked me the ins and outs of podcasting. I didn't hear from him after like two or three months after that. And then all of a sudden he posted on Twitter, the first episode of the first mint podcast. So I said, you know what? I'll support my brother. I'll download this just to give him a download. I'll throw it on at work and I'll listen to it, even though I might not listen to it actually. And we'll go from there. So I played, I played the first episode. It wasn't a very long one. And then he said a couple things in there that really caught my attention. I mean, I know nothing about cryptocurrency, blockchain, you know, NFTs and all that stuff. But he was he was talking about this stuff, but connecting it to the NBA. And I'm a massive NBA fan. So that caught my eye. Sure enough, I asked him what this is. I signed up for an account and we went from there. He gave me a couple of gifts. 
Uh, he helped me out to start. I only invested a tiny little bit of money. And this is back in the day where everything cost a dollar or two. And yeah, so here we are. And he knew I had a lot of experience with this type of stuff. He knew we made a great tag team when we do when we do anything together. So he asked me if I'd like to join. And then I hopped in with uh, with everything I had. Um, a follow-up to that, Phil, um, since you mentioned the 2K League, and I've asked um, other guests about this, and forgive me if this sounds kind of ridiculous, but when I first heard about NBA Top Shot, immediately what popped in my mind is opening the packs in NBA 2K. I was like, man, they are just <laughs> – right. I mean, I can just op- – I mean, it seems like in NBA 2K I can open a pack and play the player, like in the game. That seems more valuable than having the highlight key. Yeah. Is there any type of correlation between this and NBA 2K, or do you think there will be in the future? There is not right now any sort of correlation, but what they are doing is they are they do have some sort of game they're coming out with where you'll be able to use your moments in a game and win other moments and stuff like that. Okay. So that is actually one of their top three priorities right now they're working on. it. I think it's called Hardcore or something like that, and you'll be able to download an app for it. And you'll be able to use your moments to play games against other people and things like that. So they're really trying to develop the entire idea. It is still young. And I don't blame you for being skeptical because a lot of the stuff that has gone on has been, you know, a little iffy. And people get they get irked pretty easily on Top Shot. And for someone who hasn't had a pack yet, it's kind of devastating, right? Because you want to get in on it. But some of the prices are so high, you're not just going to spend, you know, thousands of dollars or hundreds of dollars on something you can't really kickstart like other people did. Because when I joined, there were no, there were only packs available, and I didn't want to buy them. I said, I'm not spending $9 on a pack when I can spend a dollar on a Jimmy Butler low serial number on the marketplace. I may not get one of those in my pack, so why don't I just choose what I want on the marketplace? Now, in hindsight, I should have bought like 100 packs and kept them, <laughs> sure. right? Um, but, but I don't blame people because the, the game has completely changed since I joined in early January. Now it's the opposite. You're dying for a pack because getting a pack is like winning the lottery in Top yeah. Shot right now. And the value of a pack is worth what, you know, I can't even tell you how many times what it used to be. So I, I, I don't, I, I know they're developing a lot of different angles to this. They're trying to incorporate Top Shot with actual NBA games once the fans are back. Something where you get rewards for bringing your moments to games. You may even get, you know, courtside access, things like oh, that, wow. right? Uh, they're really working with the NBA on developing something That'll make the experience for collectors more than just sitting there and having a little highlight clip to watch, right? So I'm wondering, what was the catalyst in your mind that kind of made Top Shot blow up and become uh, such, you know, such a high demand uh, NFT? Because uh, I, I think, correct if I'm wrong, it was around mid to late February that this really, really started to take off and accelerate. What started that? I think I'm not sure how it got out, but I do know that I was one of the early people. So the more I started telling people, the more everybody got into it. And we're talking everyone I knew. I told my entire 2K League you know, family about it. Everybody started coming in at the same time. And I think it was really when I, it took a couple of players, I think, tweeting out something about Top Shot. A couple of people went on. I think an ESPN article came out. Uh, the Ringer put out some stuff. Bleacher Report put out some stuff, and it really caught people's eyes. And I think the main thing is obviously money and collecting, but money. I mean, people are hearing of a LeBron James that was bought for a couple of hundred dollars, now selling for, you know, $175,000 a few months later and, and things like that. And also, it's the idea of blockchain and cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, ETH, that really has people intrigued. Because someone like myself who has no previous experience in that, 
uh, you know, for me to be able to combine that with the NBA is what was intriguing. And I'm not really into the stock market, but this is literally a stock market for the NBA. So I said, I'm such a big sports fan that I'll give it a shot because this is funner to me than trying to, you know, join all these groups and learn what's hot on the stock market and, and try and figure all that out. So that's the intrigue for me. I'm not trying to get rich quick. I think one of the problem guys is that once that big wave hit, a lot of people joined hearing all these success stories of accounts going from 500 to, you know, 500,000 in the space of three weeks and everybody wanted in on that, but that's just not how it works. Right. Um, it's, it's nice to see people stick to the collecting part as well as making a bit of money. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Sounds much more fun than stocks to me for sure. Um, <laughs> so the other thing I, I wanted to ask is that I've heard people um, talk about this great community behind Top Shot. Is Top Shot now kind of a community unto itself or are people, is it more just kind of collectively throughout Reddit, Twitter, et cetera, that, that this has really blown up into a community? I think it, it's very, it's, it's, that's a great question because when I jumped into this, I didn't expect anything other than just having my own collection and doing my own collecting. But now I feel like I know so many of these people, a lot of our viewers and listeners and, and people on Twitter, I feel like I know them really well. And I feel like if we had some sort of, you know, meetup, I could meet hundreds of people and say, oh, wow, this is who you are. And I feel like I know you so well. But at the same time, a sense of community like that is really uh, what drives this whole thing, because we're, we're able to speak to each other. You're able to give advice to each other. You're able to compare notes with others. When you're collecting regular sports cards, the process is a little bit different, although there are forums and, and online stuff you can do. But we're, this is everything is virtual. You can gift things to other people on this. Uh, the sense of community, I think, really drives the product uh, for now anyways, because we're still, again, still in beta mode and it's still a fairly small crowd that's there compared to what it could be in a few years. Phil, when do you think Top Shot will get out of beta? Have you heard anything regarding that, just in terms of their timeline? Because I feel, I kind of disagree with Matt. I feel like it hasn't even blown up yet, just because, I mean, we, I, I was telling him off air that I haven't seen a promo on, like, Inside the NBA or um, on ESPN at all. I've seen them run stories on it, but certainly not just, like, trying to promote it. Um, once we get those promos... My question is, is this site going to be, even be able to handle the volume of people? Because I can just see easily, like 10 million people. You imagine just uh, a big-time game. It's, you know, LeBron versus Kevin Durant, something, yeah. some massive highlight. And then if, you, if something comes out in terms of a top shot, people just overloading the website. So do you think the Dapper Labs and just the developers are prepared to deal with such a high upswing once this thing truly like gets super popular, not only in the United States, but globally? Yeah, I mean, once it goes global, I think we're all in big trouble, right? I mean, yeah, somebody mentioned a lot of the Asian countries aren't even onto this yet, and they are massive NBA fans, and they go crazy for their product over there. Some of the biggest sales in the world are in the Asian area, right? So the Asian countries. So once they get into it, I think it'll blow up. Can the site handle it? I don't know, because that's been one of the big issues the last couple of months has been the high volume crashing the site when there's a big pack drop or, or just at any time. But if you've been on there the last couple of weeks, we haven't had too many interruptions. I think they're starting to figure that out. I think they're starting to allocate a lot of their money towards the IT side of things uh, because, I mean, I've said to myself like four or five times since I've joined, if I was in charge of this whole thing, I would have fired the entire IT team over and over again, right? And that's just my frustrations with some of the issues they've had. 
but it's been actually pretty smooth sailing the last few weeks. And it's really promising because I feel like I've been on the site for a year now, but it's only been two months, right? Two and a half months. So to see the progress that they've made, I think they're really taking the steps necessary to fix the product, fix the website, get out of beta, which they've, I think they said the other day, they were looking within the next five months, which is really encouraging. And maybe to time it with the start of next season when they'll make their big push. It is a little bit late now. They could make a push during the playoffs and the finals. But I think if they really work on their product first, uh, before bringing in the UFC and all that, which is a whole other project, and I hope they don't just open that up to everybody and and everybody goes crazy on that too. I hope they really think about it because the, the NFTs are not going anywhere. This is not going anywhere. This is the future where in five years, you'll say, wow, remember when that was just a startup project? So I think I think they'll be able to handle it, hopefully, but there'll be a lot of trial and error along the way. Phil, um, I, we put out a question on our Facebook page in terms of has anybody heard of Top Shot? And one of the responses that we got was from a listener stating their concerns in terms of NFTs in the environment. And this is something that I wasn't even aware of until he brought it to, to my attention. Uh, but in terms of the potential damage into the environment, have you heard those concerns too? Uh, is that a legit worry? Because I've read kind of opposite. I'm like, I don't know if... On one side of me is like I, I kind of buy this, and the other side I'm like, well, there's other stuff that's also energy consumption as well that we, we use on a daily basis. So, Key, uh, can I, have you heard any of those concerns yeah, at all? I, I I would love to make up a really detailed answer on that, but I I've heard the concerns, but I've I've been so caught up with the basketball part of it that for me NFTs are still brand new. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm a big expert in NFTs. Sure. Uh, my my brother LG is the one actually who probably has more expertise on the NFT side, and and I have more expertise on the NBA side. So that's why we make a good combo. But I heard that I have heard that, and it's very interesting. But then I've also got Mark Cuban in my ear telling me that this is the future. This is great. We should all be investing in this stuff. And it's hard to go against someone like Mark Cuban, as as wild as he can be sometimes. Um, it's I mean, if you listen to him over the years, you you've probably done well. So I think. I'd love to, you know, it is a great question. And we get that question sometimes too. And I think at, at the first minute, what we'll be looking to do as we move forward with different projects, because it's not just NBA Top Shot. I think we'll be looking to make some educational videos uh, for for those exact reasons and those exact questions, not just should I buy a Zion moment for so-and-so, right? Which is the most common question is how much should I sell this for? How much should I buy this for? I think the educational side of it, NFT-wise, because it's so new, is a really important subject. And I need to educate myself a little bit more on that as well. Phil, you mentioned Mark Cuban, a guy who certainly knows a thing or two about value. You mentioned the future outlook for this, that this isn't going away. I mean, is there any world in which the value, as they release more and more packs and as this opens up globally, I mean, is there any chance that value doesn't increase with Top Shot? I think so, because... A normal market, the way I look at it is the market is still really inflated right now. As much as people think the current dip is is the end of the world, it, it's almost not sustainable over the years for everyone who comes in, buys a pack for $14 and gets nine or, nine or $900 worth of value in their pack. Nowhere do you, on, a, on, on a consistent basis, right? Maybe if you get a really special pack, one out of, you know, every 30 people gets one of those, maybe. But where we're at right now, where you're, you know, the, 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 the minimum value you get in each pack is so high. I don't think it's, it's reasonable or sustainable. I think where we'll hit 
the right market point will be when the value of some packs is not as much as you paid for that pack. So I think we're still light years away from that because everyone's still jumping into the market. But I think three, four or five years down the line, that's how it should be. And but again, who knows? The sky's the limit with what they can do with game day experiences and all that. And I believe that this is something that will continue to grow for years. So I don't think we're anywhere close to ever having one dollar moments back on the market like we should. I think the minimum for anything right now is nine or ten dollars. And that's not normal. So I think eventually we'll get there and that'll be the right type of market. But it's still very inflated for now. Gotcha. Bill, um, I'll, sorry, go, Justin, go I have yeah, to follow up to that. Sure. Could you see, you know, the, I guess the other threat I would see is that you know, if the NFL sees this increasing in value, they may jump mm-hmm. in, make their own NFT, some, something like that. I mean, could you see that as another potential threat that would make Top Shot maybe uh, specifically with the NBA, you know, a little bit more niche rather than, you know, a time like right now when there's not that competitor this is something for even the casual sports fan that where you know might pique their interest because it's it's what's out there right now. That's a great question, Matt, because we don't know yet, right? There are not too many competitors in the professional sports world to NBA Top Shot. Uh, Sorari or Sorare is the international soccer one, which you would think is the biggest thing out there. But their platform is a little strange where it's kind of fantasy based. So the players that you own have to do well in games and it hasn't been that popular yet, but I've seen Mm. a lot of European soccer players start tweeting about it, which makes me think that it may take off soon. Uh, But where NBA top shot has an advantage, regardless of who joins the game is that they were there first and they're doing their trial and error. Now they're figuring things out ahead of time. And I don't know if Dapper labs is going to purchase every possible license (laughs) and run it under their platform. But I do know that they've got the UFC coming on their website. They've got the NFLPA logo. I don't know what that means. Um, also, we heard Roham, uh, who, who's in charge of the entire thing. He's the head honcho. Roham even tweeted something about the NHL being on board and that they're working with them, but he didn't confirm anything. So it all depends where the market goes. I think once that happens, Matt, I think people will go to other markets. You will lose people on top shot. But they may come back, right? It might be one of those where they want to get the, they want to put some money into something else and get started. But I think eventually you'll keep coming back. I didn't only collect only you know one specific type of sports cards when I was young. I had three or four different sports going. But this is such a long term thing, right? That who knows when these others are coming and how good they're going to be. We just don't know. Phil, I'm sorry, Justin. One more follow up. Sure. I'll, I'll throw it to you. Um, do you think the NBA has any sort of advantage just in, and I'm being biased here as a basketball podcast host, but just the beauty of the game? I mean, getting slam dunks, um, do you think there's an advantage over, I'll go back to the NFL example, over like highlights from the NFL? Yeah, I mean, it's so, that's so interesting too, because I was on a UFC podcast the other night, and, and one of the hosts is a UFC fighter. And he didn't know about Top Shot. So he was trying to put himself in the shoes of what he would buy for the UFC. He said, well, do we have enough moments? Because in any given basketball game, you can have 50, 60, 70 different moments that could make it on Top Shot. But in Mm -hmm. a UFC fight, (laughs) I mean, you may not have more than two or three moments worth putting on there. So he was talking about things like, you know, guys getting hit in the wrong places, eye pokes. Um, you know, guys dancing when they come out to their music as being things that he'd be interested in because he doesn't think there'd be enough on the UFC side to really 
sell the amounts that NBA NBA Top Shot does. So it is interesting because a basketball game for me is one of the sports where there's so many moments. Football, I'm sure you could find something. Uh, there's probably a lot of moments every week, and in the history of the game, there's a ton of them. But globally, basketball and the NBA are still ahead of the NFL. No matter what anybody says, globally, after international soccer, I think the NBA is right up there in the top three for sure. So I think NBA has that advantage as well over the others. That is really fascinating, Phil, as myself being a huge mixed martial arts fan. Yeah. There's there's plenty of highlights. Um, and that's when it came from a fighter. Yeah. I mean, you have submissions. You have, that's right. you know, um, just where, where do we start? I mean, head kick, knockouts, um, just, just all different fighting styles. I mean, yeah. their archive is pretty large through the years. So and usually there's a highlight, you know, in some kind of in every single fight, whether, you know, a lot of jujitsu practitioners, you know, if they're really geeky about it, I mean, they could be a top shot about a nice, you know, transition or something if you want to get right. super, super geeky. So I find that, you know, <laughs> shocking, quite honestly. Well, he's a bit of a wild card, so that might explain okay. that. Um, he seems more interested in the, in the crazy stuff stuff and bloopers and stuff like that. Oh, okay. But gotcha. it was a concern raised, right? Because they are sure. dipping into the UFC market now. They're they're putting together test groups of people and uh and I mean it is a concern from some people. So I guess it is but I agree with you. There's there's so much. I mean, we could go over the history of the UFC or MMA yeah. in general exactly. and you could go on and on and on and on about different moments you could put on there that people would buy for sure, right? Too much history. For sure. And one thing since you since you brought that up is the UFC, it's behind a paywall. It's pay-per-view. And a lot of the highlights compared to the NBA, I mean, one of the arguments I've heard is, you know, like, you know, these digital moments you can see on YouTube. That That's certainly true. But I, I think if you understand the value of NBA Top Shot, I think that's clear in terms of what you get in a digital collectible. However, with the UFC, a lot of those highlights aren't available to, to see. I mean, it's behind a paywall, and the only way you can get it is through UFC Fight Pass um, and the occasional fight on YouTube here or there. So when UFC develops their own whatever, Top Shot, or basically gets involved with their own digital collectible, do you see it being more exclusive? Do you see it being more expensive? Um, Just because, you know, a lot of those highlights could be behind a paywall when you first see it. And also the UFC, they're pretty hardcore about having their highlights on social media. They go after people. So especially now, if they're going to put their, you know, a library on a digital a collectible behind another paywall per se. Um, do you see it being more expensive, a UFC um, digital collectible compared to the NBA? I think so, Justin. I think at first I see it being a lot more expensive than NBA Top Shot was because now a lot of people have experience with this, with Top Shot. You'd have a lot of those people sliding over to the UFC platform and hitting the ground a lot harder than they did with Top Shot because nobody knew what was happening at the beginning, right? But you're right. With the UFC, you can't even go back and find any event highlights uh, legally anyways on YouTube. They're not there. Bellator has them out there. They'll show you their events. But the UFC, you cannot go back and see last weekend's UFC Fight Night highlights on YouTube. You just can't. Uh, You'll have to find them on on the black market somewhere by, by doing Google searches. I've tried over and over again when I miss an event. I can't find them. So, yeah, absolutely. These moments would kind of be more rare the organic way, not rare in, in terms of mint size, but rare because a lot of people don't see them. And when they show them on Sports Center, sometimes they just show them in image mode, right? They don't show them actually playing out. But something else that's interesting that he mentioned was that how would that work for fighters getting paid? Because there has to be, I mean, you know how, you know how it is with MMA fighters. Oh, yeah. That is their yep. main interest is how do I make money? And he was wondering if if they start going crazier, uh, you know, thinking they might make more money, but that's not how it works, right? It's it's kind of 
a general payment where everybody gets a cut and then they can just use everybody's highlights is I assume is how they're going to do it. Uh, because a lot of the NBA players have no idea about top shot, but they must be getting some money out of it, but somehow they have no clue. So it can't be a lot. And it must, it must not matter how much your moment sells, even though some of them think that way, like Terry Rozier, who bought all his moments and tried to sell them at double the price. <laughs> he must've thought that his, you know, his royalties would have gone up after that, but that's not how it works. But yeah, no, it's really interesting. I think the UFC will be a smaller community to start with. But I think when people kind of dabble into because UFC collectibles, it's not the same as other sports. Nobody really has UFC, you know, sports cards. So you'd be kind of starting fresh with people and you don't have to convince a huge portion of the ones collecting, you know, physical cards to, to dabble into the digital market now, which is what is the issue right now with the NBAs. You've got all these sports card collectors that say we don't want anything to do with this new age stuff. We're sticking to our cards and all that stuff, which is a whole other story. And until you get all them kind of merged together, you may not have the numbers that you could have if everybody was on board. But I think the UFC would be a bit different because there really hasn't been too many collectibles that I know of anyways uh, on the market. So this would be new for everybody. That's a massive Pandora's box because just <laughs> as, as like an MMA family tracking fighters rights, and it, that's something we could spend just two hours talking about the Reebok deal and other yeah. things. We'd be here all day. <laughs> uh, but you, you brought up a, another thing with, with regular trading cards and traditional trading card collectors. And it, 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 I'm getting the vibe that they're not totally down with this all the way. And it seems weird because people collect all types of different stuff. I mean, my brother collected Pokemon cards and just Magic yeah. the Gathering. And I, I wasn't outraged or threatened by like my own trading card collectible. So why what's why are they being – why is this a negative tone? Because I've watched some YouTube videos. I get the sense that they're kind of anti this. And I just find it curious as to why. Yeah, you don't have everybody on the same page. A lot of people are. I mean, it okay. depends when you started collecting. But if you've got tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands or millions invested in real sports cards, you're kind of hesitating to move away from that. It's been your passion for years and your hobby for years that you don't want to join a world that is now fully established. You don't know anything about this crypto stuff and in the, in the digital world. I could see that. It's kind of an old school, new school thing, right? I recently gave my 16-year-old son a box of cards that I had when I was young. My parents got rid of it. They're like, you know what? We're throwing this out or you keep it. I said, okay, I'll keep it. And there's thousands of sports cards in there. And he opened that up, I'd say, last summer. And he found, you know, he found gold in there pretty much because he was looking up the prices and all that. So he started selling this stuff. But the process to sell, guys, is, all right, so we're in Canada. To have one of these cards graded, he has to send it down to Florida. Right. That process alone takes, I mean, he hasn't even had them back yet. They haven't, they're, they're so backlogged with sports cards and grading them that he's, they still have it. So seven months later, he still doesn't have it back. Once he gets it back, he has to find a buyer. He's got to send it out to that buyer. There might be more, you know, uh, you know, more border fees and things like that. Who knows what it'll cost him to get that card back. Cause if the value is very high, they may consider that something that's crossing the border with high value. Who knows? Wow. But in this digital world, though, you can literally go online 24-7. You don't have to mint your moment. Your moment doesn't need to be minted a 9, 10, 8, whatever. They're all the same except the serial number. And you can sell it any time of the day to anybody you want. It's all on the blockchain for everybody to see. So it's a big step for, for OG collectors of sports cards to kind of switch over. I just think they need a bit more education as to how this could work. And they need a bit more confidence that this is something that will work because 
you're not really doing both, right? Now he's trying to ship his entire collection out. He doesn't want to grade them anymore. He's on top shot, right? And he's he's ready to be done with the physical sports cards because it's so much work compared to the digital ones. Interesting. You know, one of the things Justin and I were talking about earlier was that you know, there, there are people who love shoes and shoe collectors. And then there are people who uh, resell their shoes and even have that as a career on its own. Uh, I'm curious if you know, and I know things are in their infant stages, in the beta stages still, uh, but what is the sense of maybe what percentage or have you seen a lot of people that are starting to make potentially a, a career or at least a side hustle out of trading, selling these uh, Top Shot moments? I think a lot of people considered it when we hit the highest of highs in February. But now a lot of people are back down to earth after some of the prices, right? Uh, we were talking some people's accounts going from the $75 invested to sixty or 70000 in the span of a month, which people were thinking they could do that consistently. But once they realize, like in the times that we're in now and their accounts are back down to fifteen or 20000 they're not able to do it. Having said that, my brother LG, who started the first Mint uh, uh, Enterprise pretty much, I'll call it an enterprise because it's not only NBA Top Shot, it will dabble into all NFTs and, and all sports projects and things like that. He is now doing this full time for the most part. And he had a full time job before that. He's jumped into this full time now. It's been very profitable for the people who were there very early, like last summer. Uh, their accounts are all between, you know, say 500000 and a million dollars or more because they own so much volume of the cheap product back then. And now the prices have skyrocketed on every single one of them. So it kind of depends when you came, when, when you jumped into this. But I think you'll see some people, absolutely, because you've got some professional flippers that are there all the time. And I don't know how they do it. I'm there, I'm there struggling to make money, you know, and figure out how to do it consistently. But I'm more in it for the collecting, so it doesn't bother me. Any opportunity I see to flip something, I'll do it. But you've got those people. They'll buy something for 70 and they'll sell it for 75 and they'll do it a hundred times in one night. So, so I mean, yeah, it's a high, it's a side hustle for sure, right? And like you said, it, it is comparable to the shoe collecting and the shoe drops because of all the chaos that goes around pack drops. Pack drops are identical to shoe drops. You got the the issues with the bots. You've got all the accusations of people creating hundreds and thousands of accounts, which was a thing, and they've really struggled with that, to be honest. So <laughs> that's that's one of the things that needs to be fully cleaned up before people can really put their faith in that. Phil, can you just estimate when we'll get historical moments from the NBA within Top Shot? Because that's going to be a huge thing. I mean, yeah. there's so many um, issues, and I mean, the, the one person that comes to mind is Michael Jordan. Just yes. because he um, is not affiliated with the um, NBA Players Association. And another player I want to ask about is Charles Barkley, just because, <laughs> you know, he I mean, he's notorious for not being in the video game. So yeah. I, I can't imagine him wanting to be a part of the NBA Top Shot. I mean, he doesn't even have a Twitter account. So um, <laughs> that's good. I, I just I'm just wondering with some of these other players that either hate technology or just have their own kind of weird things with the NBA. Um, what what do you think? What do you anticipate in terms of when historical moments get into NBA Top Shot? Because that's I think that's going to be gold. I mean, holy cow! I agree. We, I mean, we hit like even mid 2000s. I mean, sheesh with Kobe. I mean, when all this oh, stuff comes out, I mean. You, let alone anybody else. I mean, it's just going to be a massive Pandora's box. So do you have, is there discussion beginning about like 
historical moments, or is this kind of we're stuck in the here and now? We're just trying to deal with this season. Well, there are a few that are from. It's called the Run It Back set, and okay. they've already teased that there will be another Run It Back very soon. And some of the players that they listed as being part of that running back are Allen Iverson, Shaquille O'Neal, and Tracy McGrady. They would not reveal the rest of them, but those are some pretty big names in the history of basketball. Not exactly the really old school ones like you'd expect, maybe, like like you said, Michael Jordan. I think Kobe Bryant, if ever he made his way on the top shot, he would probably break the site and maybe even overtake my uh, LeBron James right now, who's the king of top shot. You put anything out there, LeBron, and people lose their minds and – I mean, people are buying it for two, three hundred thousand. Some of the yeah. some of the rare ones, right? But I think if you bring Kobe into this, um, I think it would change the game quite a bit. But Charles Barkley, it, that's an interesting one because if he goes on the air on TNT there and he starts talking about top shots and stuff, that'd be huge for Top Shot more than some of the players. And he'd probably never stop talking about his moments, and they'd probably play them on the air every week, showing him and some of the battles he was in. He would talk trash to everybody in the videos. Um, yeah, he'd be a game changer, but he obviously doesn't really have a price, right? Because you're right. He's not part of anything. And I'm sure he's been offered tons of money to be part of these projects in the past and he's nowhere to be seen. So, but I I think what top shot will do, and they've been rumored to have this pack coming out soon. I think they're going to wait till the off season. It makes a lot of sense to wait until the off season when things are quiet. Uh, I, I was asking my brother, how was it last summer when you first joined? He goes, we used to go four to five days without one transaction on the marketplace. I mean, you can't go half a second without (laughs) thousands of transactions now. So, yeah, it's changed quite a bit. But if they play their cards right and they save these older sets for the summertime and probably put out some playoff stuff and some final stuff and things like that, they can probably make it through the offseason and sustain that all the way up until, until the new season starts. The only thing is, though, they do not have a license for the Olympics. And... The Olympics are huge this year. A lot of these players, as the game grows, so does the international game. Look at Canada's team. Canada can fill all five starters twice with NBA players for the first time ever, right? And they'll be in the same group as the USA. So that's a little disappointing that we won't be able to have access to that. Uh, Things like Vince Carter dunking over that seven foot four guy there on France, you know, things like that we would love. I mean, I'd pay top dollar for a moment like that, being a huge Vince Carter and Raptors fan, but they don't have the license for anything Olympics related. So that's not happening. Maybe the Olympics will do their own NFTs. That could be, you know, a whole different story where they sell their own stuff for all the sports. Uh, Usain Bolt moments, all that, you know, who knows, right? That's that's still part of the future. But that run it back set will be coming out. And if OG collectors who collect cards are ever going to get into the game, sets like that might start piquing their interest, right? Players that they're used to collecting and, 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 and things like that. But Michael Jordan is, I mean, that's, that's, I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever see him on top shot. He's got his own brand and I'm sure the price would be pretty high. So just, you think it'd be minimal, even if, if, if top shot grows to great popularity, there's really no, no chance of him um, being associated with the NBA top shot. I mean, he was in, he was in 2k um, that did happen right, eventually. Right. Um, so you, you just don't see it as a possibility well, like 10, 15 years down the line. Hey, it's out of curiosity. No way. Maybe. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, money, money talks at the end of the day. He doesn't sure. need it, but yeah, you're right. He has done other projects before. Um, and LaMelo ball, his very own LaMelo ball. Who's the hot. I, I'd say he's a top five hottest thing on top shot right now. All his players are getting into top shot more than any other team. So the Orlando Magic and the Charlotte Hornets are the two teams where all five starters are all over top shot. They do streams all the time. 
They're all over it. So you can't help but wonder. I mean, eventually Michael Jordan will hear about this, and I'm sure he will ask the question, hey, why don't I have a moment on there, right? Especially when LeBron is dominating the way he is on top shot. The competitor in Michael might say, hey, let, let me trump him with one set or something, you know, a, 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 a legend set where he comes out and they've only made 50 of them or something. That would also destroy the site, and we probably wouldn't have a site for a month or something if that happens. Well, Phil, thank you very much for joining the show. Really appreciate it. Um, please let our listeners and viewers know where they can find you on social media and then also what projects and anything else you have um, working on this coming year. Well, we've got a lot coming up on the First Mint. Uh, we've got a great team behind the First Mint. A lot of people think that it's just my brother and myself. My brother is the absolute mastermind behind the whole thing. He runs the enterprise. I just help out wherever I can. I'm just happy to be on the air when I can't. You can find the at the First Mint on Twitter. We're not on Instagram completely. There is a brand new website that is coming out in the next couple of days. It's going to be super exciting stuff with rumors, everything you need to know about Top Shot and NFTs. And, and the, the, the question from that listener that you brought up earlier is a really good one, and I'll bring it up to him, and that's something we should be discussing because we do get asked that question quite a bit about the environment and things like that. Uh, again, at the First Mint on Twitter is where everything at. You can find the link to the podcast there. As for me, you can find me at the Real Phil D on Twitter. I have another podcast, as I mentioned earlier. It's the NBA 2K League Expose podcast. That'll be starting up soon. We ha- we've had the first episode this year, but the season doesn't start until May. And it's a little bit difficult this year because the players can't fly into their markets without quarantining and all that. Uh, but look out for that. It's it's a really fun league. It's it's the actual NBA teams. A lot of people don't know this. And they draft players the way that the NBA drafts players. I mean, David Silver was there for, for the first pick the last couple of years, calling it out. And, you know, it's a real draft. They get drafted from all over the world. They go to their home markets. They control every player on the court. There's five versus five. Exciting stuff. Very fun to watch. Uh, but keep keep checking the first mint. We've got a lot of stuff coming up, and I think the listeners will be pretty excited about that. Phil, thank you very much. We really enjoyed the chat. Um, hopefully, we'll talk to you soon. Um, and just um, happy collecting. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, guys. I had a great time. Thank you. Welcome to another episode of Hoopsology. I am Justin Goodrum. Join my Matt Thomas. What's up, man? Justin, apparently. The story of the trade deadline is the Orlando Magic wanted to dominate the headlines in the NBA for one day. <laughs> right. Well, mission accomplished. They did. <laughs> um, and then they're going to fade back to obscurity for the rest of this year and probably next. <laughs> but um, nevertheless, you're right. They did dominate the the headlines today of the trade deadline. Is our trade deadline recap. Um, let's break it down what we thought were the most notable trades in the NBA. Um, I want to make note first that up on our YouTube channel, Currently, right now, we have our interview with Phil Doucette of the First Mint. Um, that website and podcast covers NBA Top Shot and soon um, other sports um, NFTs as well. So check out that interview. Really fun to talk to Phil. Um, over 35 minutes, uh, we touched on um, some a little bit of NBA 2K. Um, some UFC talk came up. I mean, <laughs> uh, really compelling chat with Phil. Awesome guest. Um, it was a pleasure to have him on. So that's up on our YouTube channel now, along with the rest of our um, content as well. But Matt, um, it's time to break down this um, NBA trade deadline. And I'll just be honest, I'm, I never liked the NBA trade deadline. I think it's <laughs> way overrated. Just to be completely honest, like yeah. I don't see like the big trades or thing changing. I think NBA free agency is just a lot more exciting 
that's especially recently that's when we've seen a lot of just dramatic changes but nevertheless there are some huge changes um and some huge non-starters so just to recap um kyle lowry um i believe i'm trying to remember and i should know this and i'm embarrassed the Raptors, they did win their game last night. I forgot who they played. You remember who they played last night? This we're recording this on um, March twenty fifth, twenty twenty one. Oh gosh, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, Sorry, man. I want to. <laughs> no, no worries. Uh, they played the Nuggets. That's right. Ah. <clears throat> they played Denver because I was I was like, man, they're killing Denver right now. So they beat the Nuggets one thirty five one eleven. A couple of things first. It was the um, first all female broadcast of an NBA game television and radio um all women on every single part of the broadcast that was pretty historical um and also just the raptors just defeating the nuggets but afterwards it was pretty much assumed that kyle lowry is going to be gone he was no longer to be a toronto raptor and turns out to find that he's staying in toronto so just with this this brings up just a huge problem with just the raptors you know this has been a very tumultuous season i'm sure it's been like that for all the other teams in the nba but for the Raptors, particularly playing in Tampa Bay, I mean they're not even in their home country, and we all know what you know home court can do for certain NBA teams, and certainly Toronto's, you know, with their success, um, not having their home fans has been a huge detriment. And Kyle Lowry staying with with the Raptors and just this season just being pretty brutal. There was the whole news that came out about Pascal Siakam and him being fine by the team, him getting to a shouting match with uh, Nick Nurse. So the team's not really doing that hot nowadays. Uh, yeah. So in terms of Lowry being on the trading block and now he's staying there, what do you think this is going to do for the morale of the team and Lowry as a whole? Well, Lowry's the leader in that locker room. So if anything, it's it's great for the morale of the team this season. But really, we know... I mean, at this point, the Raptors' chances of making the playoffs are pretty limited. And even if they do make it, it's going to be some low seed in, in the play-in tournament. So really, I, Masai Ujiri is, is a super smart GM. Everyone around the league respects him. So I'm thinking he just didn't see value in any of the deals that were out there for him. You know, there were the rumors Lowry would go to the 76ers. I loved the idea of that. Um, and there was also, of course, the rumor that he was going to go to the heat, but they must have just not offered enough. And he must think, you know, maybe he can re-sign him. They retain the bird rights to Lowry. Um, so they can sign him and then he's still a tradable asset, uh, and they'll still have him that way. But I, I think it felt like kind of a miss to me because I think this was the time to trade Lowry. This was the time to hand the helm over to Fred Van Vliet as far as the starting point guard of that team. I think he's proven his value. Um, so it does feel like a bummer for the Raptors. If I'm a Raptors fan right now, I mean, of course you would be sad to see Lowry leave, but He's a 35-year-old point guard. You just can't imagine his value is going to get any higher as we go day by day here. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it was, you know, a good a moment, I guess. Not a moment, but a good, I guess a the timing was right to pass a torch to Fred Van Fleet. It didn't happen. So um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a bummer just to see that. 
Um, I'm just, it's popping in my mind because I remember calling Fred Van Fleet Marcus Van Fleet. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like I'm glad I got his name right. But um, anyways, moving from Toronto, we got well, to talk about. Oh, go ahead. One, one, more, thing. one more thing. I'm yeah, sorry. Please. While we're on Toronto, yeah, let's sure. also add that the Raptors did make a big trade and that they sent Norman Powell over to the Blazers. That's right. Uh, shout out to Danny Morang. You can go back and listen to that interview if you want. He was talking about the potential of the Blazers moving Gary Trent, uh, mm-hmm. which they did now to the Raptors. He will be an unrestricted free agent after this year. So you have to think uh, they also traded Rodney Hood. You'd imagine they let Rodney Hood go and sign uh, Gary Trent as kind of a three and D player, a great piece to have. So kind of a, a win in a way for the Raptors there, but also mortgaging um, the present uh, by shipping out one of their leading scorers in Norman Powell, a guy who can go out and get a bucket, had his career high within the past month. So so to me, I, I'm just saying that to emphasize, I don't understand why you don't move Lowry if you just move Norman Powell. Yeah, quite bizarre. And it also just creates a lot of friction within the team too, right? Just, you know, I was supposed to be traded. I'm not. What's going to happen? What's my future with this team? And also he had a lot of sh- suitors. I mean, holy moly. I mean, from our guest, Phil Doucette, he'll go into detail about the fake Woj account about her <laughs> fake tweets about Kyle Lowry being traded to how that affected the NBA top shot to just, you know, interest from the Clippers, Lakers, as you said, the 76ers. It was just like insanity. And then when it comes up to, you know, one o'clock mountain time, um, nothing happened. He stayed. So I was like, where's the Kyle Lowry trade? It, you know, I, it was just kind of weird just to see that not happen for sure. Um, If you want to elaborate on this, you can. I didn't get the, I don't, I don't get the fascination with Lonzo Ball. I think he's really improved. I think he's a solid NBA player. I think any talk of him just being, you know, this, I don't know how you would say that, a figment of his father's imagination, I think is false. He is a legit NBA player with legit skills that can service any NBA team. However, People were talking about him being a massive factor, and the Bulls were in line to possibly get him. And I was like, well, how's this guy like a game changer for Chicago? He's, a, he's an all right point guard, but I don't know. I guess he's a piece. I, I just, and we could talk about this later, but the way that people are currently seeing Chicago, I'm not buying it. And having Lonzo Ball being traded to Chicago. I don't see it being a positive um, addition, even with them getting um, that big trade with Nikolai Vucevic um, that we'll talk about later. But I don't know. I just think Lonzo Ball on any other team, he's a minor impact, per se. I I don't see him having too much of an effect compared to, like I say, a Rajon Rondo in his prime. I know, um, I believe he got traded too today. So That's correct. uh, Playoff Rondo. Yeah, I I, I don't know. (laughs) I I just, there's a lot lot of, hype around Lonzo Ball today? I didn't understand why. Um, what did you think of all the, the trade chatter around Lonzo Ball today? Well, there will always be hype around Lonzo Ball. It's it's just destined to be that way because he is the first Ball son to make his trip through the NBA. Sure. Uh, I do think there are some interesting things about him in Chicago. Like, I do think he would actually complement Zach Levine pretty well and make them an interesting backcourt 
Um, not that he's going to take them to, you know, title prominence or, no. or anything like that, but it is an interesting lineup shakeup depending on what you could get for him. I am, am fascinated by Lonzo Ball in the same way, and I'm going to tie this together to you, Justin, uh, in the same way that I'm fascinated by Ben Simmons as a player. Uh, players with extremely awesome skill sets in some ways, and some extreme deficiencies too. So I, I would kind of tie Lonzo Ball into that category as well. He is a much better shooter than Ben Simmons to this point anyway. Not as effective as at getting to the basket as Ben Simmons is, but he's kind of this NBA unicorn, so to speak, but not necessarily in a good way. So I can definitely see uh, why you have your take uh, about Lonzo Ball that way because – it's a similar one to, you know, your feelings towards Ben Simmons, if, if I true. may be assumptive there. Yeah, um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I think there will always be media hype on Lonzo Ball, but at the end of the day, it may be the best thing for him to stay on a young Pelicans team and develop around Zion and throw alley-oops to Zion Williamson and, uh, and Brandon Ingram. I think the Pelicans have been a disappointment. Yeah. I think we've seen Zion take a bigger step and, you know, Brandon Ingram's supposed to take this, you know, all-star step as well in terms of, I mean, he made the all-star team, but you, you know what I mean, just to be more of an established player to have the Pelicans within the top eight. And instead, they're you know, outside looking in. So I don't think he should have been an all-star, but that yeah. I know that's a hot take. But yeah, no, I agree with you. They yeah, are he has struggling. tons of, they're yeah. not looking good. No. Um, so, and I it, I like I don't say I like the Pelicans and I like Lonzo Ball on there. I just don't see him as just this massive difference maker on any other team. And I guess let's just might as well just talk about it now. And and that was Chicago Bulls surprisingly uh, making this trade. And I know they read they talked about it on no dunks and I agree with their sentiments. There was very little chatter around Nikolai Vucevic um, being moved. I mean, all the talk was Aaron Gordon, which he did get moved to the Denver Nuggets, which we could talk about that a little bit later. But um, with Nikolai Vucevic, I'll just read this trade. Um, guess who reported it first? Adrian Woganowski. Um, <laughs> Wojbaum. So Orlando will send Vucevic and forward Aqua Furuka Amanu, I probably butchered that, to Chicago for Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter, and two first-round picks. Um, so to me, I think this is a pretty huge deal for Chicago. It makes them relevant. You have two All-Stars. We've seen flashes of this team really being on an upward trajectory. I had no expectations for Chicago. Those of you who don't know, I'm a huge Chicago Bulls fan, believe it or not. <laughs> um, my expectations were low just because of Billy Donovan and everything going on with this team, especially with the circumstances as what they are. This year is kind of a throwaway year, right? And then next year you can kind of build and move forward. But now it seems like Chicago's making a play, you know, they make the playoffs here. And I'll just say it, and as you know, you heard me talk about this through this entire season, last entire season. I'm not a big fan of Zach Lavina. It's so weird because I love him in a slam dunk contest. I like the guy's game, I really do. But especially in the NBA, in basketball in general, compared to other sports, like in the NFL, I have a lot more sympathy towards other players in terms of them not having the success because it's more of a team game. And with basketball, we know who's good. 
we wish to immediately. We know who has an impact and who doesn't. Like we see it with the Brooklyn Nets, right? When you have Durant, Harden, and Irving together, five and zero on the West Coast road trip, they destroy everybody, even though they're weak defensively. But easier to assert your dominance. Yeah, in the NBA. it yeah. is immediately. Yeah. We know, like LeBron, like whenever he goes to a certain teams or certain players, make a impact immediately. And with Zach Levine, we just haven't seen that. And again. It makes a difference in terms of what it's true because I didn't understand this. I forgot who said this. Maybe somebody inside the NBA. I think they said, you know, just because you score a lot of points, it doesn't mean that you're going to have a huge effect on the team. I mean, it kind of matters how you're scoring those points. And to your point about Ben Simmons, I mean, he has these, his deficiencies and I have my issues with him, but his impact is huge on the game. And I think we've seen that with players like a Steve Nash or Jason Kidd earlier in their careers when they have huge weaknesses, but their impact is huge. Chris Paul this year, indicative with the Phoenix Suns, right? So with this team in general, I'm excited for them to have two All-Stars. I'm a little bit on the cynical side, on the negative side. I don't see this having too much of an effect right now. Um, I think what we've seen with Chicago in the fourth quarter has been atrocious. Them not being able to just finish out games and for a Zach Levine type of player to have that kind of on your resume this season, I can't buy them as any type of a threat. I think adding Vucevic is a huge help right now. The bulls, they're 19 and 24. I mean, they're in the mix and we've seen a lot of, I mean, right now I I can see them, (laughs) believe it or not, like, beating like the Celtics. I never thought I would say that <laughs> coming into the season, but just considering, right. I mean, I mean, look, I mean, look at, I mean, look at the Knicks. They're the sixth seed right now. They're 500 uh, along with the Heat and then the Hornets. So basically if you go through four to really like, sheesh, I would say even 12 to be, I mean, the 12th seed to be quite honest. Yeah. I mean, everybody's in the hunt. I was, I mean, I was dismissing the the magic, but I mean, other than the Pistons, everybody's kind of in it in terms mm-hmm. of making the play in tournaments. So, I think for Chicago, and in, in terms of getting Vucevic, I think it's in play, indicative of this new play in tournament that now there's more an opportunity to have some life in the postseason. But in terms of this this team being like a Eastern Conference threat, they have a long way to go. And I, you know. It, being a fan of this team after the Jordan years, seeing this team progress in terms of them not having a lot of talent, but then playing hard. Those bulls made me more hopeful compared to this when they have a lot of talent and they mm. just make stupid mistakes. And it makes me less likely to believe in them um, in any kind of a playoff scenario, playing any t- team um, of equal or greater talent. So I'm excited about the trade. It's cool. But, I mean, am I jumping for joy? Not at all. I'm pretty negative um, in terms of this having a massive impact. But but what did you think, Matt? Did you think this, is this going to have a major effect for Chicago? Great question. I think we're going to find out a lot about Vucevic. Is he a big fish in a small pond in Orlando? Or is he going to be able to continue to put up similar production with Zach Levine getting a lot of these touches? Uh, so we're going to find out a lot about both of those players. You know, the expectations are going to be higher on this team and we're going to see how they live up to that. I do think Vucevic potentially pairs nicely with Lori Markinen 
if marketing can can improve can yeah, start to F. progress again uh, of yeah. course uh i mean the bulls are still a very young team yeah. i do think they're in good hands with billy donovan it's hard to project the future but i think there there are certain teams where you get in a bad rut for a while and i'm okay with giving up what the bulls gave up to get vucevic so if I were a diehard Bulls fan, I still have a soft spot. I mean, I got Michael Jordan behind me. I still have a soft spot for that team. I would definitely be excited for this trade just to get that name, get that sort of pedigree, even if you're ending up, you know, for the next two years, like the sixth seed in the East, that's still better than where things were. And then at that point, you need to decide if you're able to maybe acquire another asset and look like a true threat to be a contender or if you're going to move some of those assets and then move back into the draft lottery so kind of this will accelerate you towards that fork that you need to go and will give you a more fun to team to watch in the meantime so i am all for it that's true best best deal um maybe not in terms of all out value but this was the biggest name that was moved this was the most impactful trade for sure um, and it was a main note on Twitter, basically, that the Atlanta Magic was going through like a big fire cell, getting rid of everything. Yeah. And the other big trade was Aaron Gordon. And I'm sure this will make our, our friend Josh very happy. Um, big Denver Nuggets fan. Um, the Magic will send Aaron Gordon and forward Gary Clark to Denver for guards Gary Harris, all of Gary's, and RJ Hampton and a <laughs> um, 2025th, uh, 20, excuse me, 2025 uh, first round pick as well. Um, Aaron Gordon's last game with the Magic, I, I heard his post-game um, comments. I think it was refreshing just because, you know, he went to management several times about trying to get a, being, a, being a contender and it not happening and him being very unhappy. I think that was nice to see just because we hear a lot of players, you know, they request a trade and then they don't want to talk about it. Like, you requested a trade. Like, you know, <laughs> and they just tried to hide behind it. And I thought Aaron Gordon handled it pretty well. So him going to Denver – How's this going to affect the Nuggets? Because I would say with Denver, they are at a crossroads right now, right? They start out kind of slow. They, you know, we see the Lakers, right? LeBron's hurt. Anthony Davis, you know, has been hurt. Right now, they're the fifth seed. They're really the West is in a weird predicament, right? Because a lot of the, the teams that we thought might have been traditional powers, I mean, look, the we have the Jazz and the Suns, <laughs> number one and two. And with the Nuggets having an, an Aaron Gordon, somebody, you know, it was funny to see the, the news broken on their local broadcast. They portray as Aaron Gordon as this high-flying dunker, but he's there for his defensive prowess. That's where his, the, the bread and butter is going to be for this team to do anything. So do you think with him being on the Nuggets, this will be – a turning point for this team to finally assert their power as a top seed in this conference for the playoffs. I certainly think it could be Aaron Gordon fills uh, the gap that, that was left when um, they didn't remind me of the player that left for Detroit. Um, when they lost him, they lost a lot of team defense. Um, and so Aaron Gordon helps with that. And can't you just picture Jokic throwing alley-oops to Aaron Gordon? Right. I mean, that that yeah. just seems sure. picture perfect right there. So there could be, um, there. there's now more electricity in that offense as well, which is already a very capable offense. But I think the bigger impact 
you know, outside of all the flashy dunks, the biggest impact is going to be on the defensive end on the court. They can move Paul Millsap to the bench a little bit more and be more versatile on defense. So I think that's, that's the biggest thing. And when you're looking at teams that they're going to have to go against in the West, once we get into the playoffs, that's super helpful for them to be able to have that, to be able to switch more often on defense with some of those combo guards and um, combo forwards that they have. Um, you know, I, I don't know if this makes, I, I picked, I don't know if you remember, but I picked the Nuggets as the number one seed mm -hmm. for the regular season. I just thought with their youth and exuberance from last year, they were going to power through and the Lakers might shift down. Well, the Lakers shifted down, but the Nuggets didn't stay where I wanted them. So, um, you know, I could, I, I don't know that I buy um, this being something that takes them all the way up into like a top three seed. But I think this sets their roster well for playoff matchups. Did you have any other thoughts about this trade? Nah, not really. Um, I think it helps the Nuggets. I think it's a smart move. Um, and this year's playoffs, I think it's going to be very unpredictable. It's exciting. I mean, we have a lot of other factors at play that would normally not be the case in the playoffs. So I think it's going to be fairly entertaining for sure. Um, but I just, it's hard to really get a beat on this season, man. I just seeing like the top seeds, like the Jazz and 76ers, I can see them getting back. I can see them losing in the first round. I know it just sounds, it feels weird, but I can kind of see that happening. And even like a, you know, right now, you know, Brooklyn, they, they, they're on a one game losing streak, but you know, they could be the, they could be the first seed when it's said and done. So right now it's it's really hard to predict and that's why i don't really like the trade deadline because i don't feel like any major moves are made usually it's saved towards free agency um this is you, one of the bigger trade deadlines it is. for example it is. And, and this one was yeah to your point to your <laughs> yeah. point it's not a ton of that no yeah, yeah for sure um i think it's weird because we're seeing a lot of you know all-stars being traded but not difference makers and i think that goes to um victor oladipo uh, being traded oh. to the, the Miami Heat. <laughs> we had to um, talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll let you take it um, once I just recap the trade. Yeah, um, yeah. Oladipo um, from the Rockets um, to the Heat for Avery Bradley, Kelly Olenek, and a 2022 pick swap. Uh, Matt, you can take it from here. <laughs> well, I mean, this has been criticized around the league as sure. the worst trade of this trade deadline period. I think that's absolutely fair. Uh, I don't think I need to add much to that, but mm -hmm. basically Victor Oladipo for a pick swap. Cause let's be honest, like Kelly Olenek, I have, I like Kelly Olenek. This, this is not a diss on him, but he's not going to change the Rockets franchise. No. Avery Bradley, an aging asset, asset put in for cap considerations, basically. I mean, no offense, Avery Bradley, I'm sorry, but basically you traded Victor Oladipo for a pick swap. I think it's a, it's a terrible move. I am biased because I I just like Victor Oladipo. I, I just think he's a likable guy. He is. Uh, so I enjoyed rooting for him for that short time we got to in Houston. Um, but it's I, I don't even see the point of this move. Like, why not just hold Victor Oladipo? Would have been a much better move than making this deal. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's a terrible move, and I think I even saw on Twitter 
ultimately with the James Harden trade, they really got nothing back for him. Um, so <laughs> it's a bummer for sure. Um, I won't I won't dwell on too much on the Houston Rockets suffering. Um, no, they deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> they deserve um, it. But yeah, we can move on. I, don't, I just don't think there's that much else to say about it. It's yeah. just awful. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty terrible. Um, other than that, the Bulls also got Daniel. Is it Tice or Tice? Tice. Tice. Yes. Okay. Uh, he he's a serviceable player. It's very interesting because I, th- I feel like the Bulls are trying to like really form a playoff nucleus. I'm just not buying it. Um, even I even saw on Twitter that marketing was heavily they're trying to ship them. Didn't happen. Um, I think even they're trying to work something out with the Washington Wizards maybe, and that that mm. trade didn't work out either. So I don't know. Um, was there anything else in this trade deadline that stood out to you um, that was profound that kind of you know raise an eyebrow in your neck of the woods, Matt? Yeah, a couple interesting things just quickly. Uh, the other big move from the Magic that I think we should mention is Evan Fournier. Yep. You- uh, the Magic's second leading scorer was traded for basically two second round draft picks to the Celtics. I think that's huge uh, because when we've talked with guests in the past, you know, one of the things about the Celtics this year is actually their depth, surprisingly, has been a big concern. Uh, and their three-pointers have also been a big concern, and he helps out on both of those counts. They don't give up any players to get him. So I think that makes the Celtics a little more interesting. I don't think, you know, it, it, again, it's not a move that vaults them to the top of their of the Eastern Conference, but it's it's a big impact move. Did you have any thoughts on that one? Um, I think it's it's a big impact move. Just, I think with the Celtics, it's, it's just been such a disappointment. I mean, oh, they've yeah. been one of the most unbelievable stories in the NBA. And this move here, I think it's going to help them. I don't know how much, but at least they're making an effort. With Orlando... This seems to be a trend in the NBA stockpiling picks. And I think we've seen that with even the Thunder. I forgot the number, but they have a, an insane amount of picks the next few years on just trying to rebuild. So I feel like that's kind of the game plan. It's just, you know, any asset you have, get rid of it and just acquire picks over the years. The, the bummer is that, you know, you have sometimes you have to rely on other teams um, and also you have to pick well. Yeah, that's because you have a ton of picks doesn't mean you're gonna have a superstar team. I mean, you have to you have to pick, and I think with the Magic, I mean that's kind of been indicative, right? I mean, I can't remember the last time the Magic were a relevant team in in the playoff race. Dwight Howard, two thousand nine. That was yeah, basically about it. And then they gave him up for a lot of picks, and now it's just been rinse and repeat. I mean, Victor Oladipo was one of their better picks, yep, uh, that they've ever had, but. You know he's not around anymore either. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things where you you need a team that can pick well, and I think with Chicago that was one of their you know greatest strengths. You know back in the kind of you know after you know the dark ages after Jordan left. You know once they got um man uh, Kirk Heinrich, you know Andres Nocioni, Luau Dang, you know Joachim Noah, um, Derek Rose, just you know all those all those guys. Ben Gordon, this kind of slowly getting guys through to do the draft or just kind of those unknown guys through trades. Um, the Bulls are really good at that. And I think we've seen that with other teams too. Look at the Warriors, right? Um, other teams have really used to draft to their advantage. I think it's an underrated part of the NBA is 
drafting people <laughs> as opposed to just For acquiring sure. free agents. So I, I think it's definitely interesting to see how that plays out. Um, you said you had one more trade, Matt? Yeah, quick note. I, I did want to give a shout out to Tom Moore, who was on the show earlier this week yeah. because he predicted that the 76ers were going to get a veteran point guard. They went and did that. They got George Hill, yeah, that's right. uh, which I, I think is a great fit on that team. Uh, the other move that I wanted to mention, we, we already mentioned it earlier, but I, I think one of the underrated spicier moves of the trade deadline is Rondo going to the Clippers because we had uh, with Montrezl Harrell and moving to the Lakers from the Clippers. We had this little bit of drama between the Clippers and Lakers at the start of the season. Now we have Rondo who won the title with the Lakers last year being released, being freed into hopefully playoff Rondo uh, now on the Clippers. Maybe he can teach them, prepare them for the Lakers and hopefully we get a Lakers Clippers playoff series at some point, depending yeah. on how things shake out. I think it still is a it's long overdue standing. Yeah. Um, so I, I just think it's, it's going to be very fun to see both if we get playoff Rondo, since he's on a team that will legitimately be in the title hunt. I don't have them as a, a top contender, but there's a shot there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that drama between the Lakers and the Clippers, I, I think that just kind of adds a, a little bit of fun to the Western Conference. Well, that matchup is long overdue, right? I mean, they got for sure. They got a you know a date sometime. We just it's don't been all talk to this point. We got to yeah. see it on the court, please. Right. Um, I'm sorry if my attention has been um, deviated a little bit. There's some late breaking news. Um, the mm. Trailblazers are playing the Miami Heat, and it looks like Damian Lillard has gone down with an injury. We'll oh, see. man. Um, it looks like he did something to his knee. I mean, what? I mean, when you're watching this, he, he may be fine. Um, but that's just a note to uh, make a note of that he did go down. Um, and we'll have to wait and see if it's anything serious or if he recovers in a, in a matter of moments. But um, that's something just to keep keep hold of. Trying to track to see what exactly happened. Um, but it's noticeable. Some NBA reporters are picking it up that um, he did um, did something to his knee. I think going up for a layup. Um, mm. so Gosh, we'll have, hopefully that would just okay. be that would be the end of the season for the Blazers, basically. I mean, yeah. they, they might still limp into the playoffs, but uh, yeah, if, if he's out for serious time, that's obviously <laughs> the conference changing. It's um, from Brett Siegel, um, and he is a NBA writer, analyst, insider for hoopsanalysis.net. And he says, quote, Damian Lillard is in pain, limping from what appears to be a left knee injury. Timeout on the floor will update if Lillard remains in the game. Seems like he injured his knee going for a layup. He may have twisted it. So mm. we'll see what happens. I mean, again, I mean, you might be watching this and being talking about the guy was fine. But um, <laughs> as of the recording of this um, podcast, he appears to be hurt um, and when we record our, our main show on Sunday, if there's any additional news, we'll make sure to discuss it and bring that to you as well. Um, but I thought Absolutely. I should pass that along. Um, did you have anything else, Matt, you wanted to discuss during this trade deadline? Man, I think that's good. I, I feel happy for J.J. Redick that he's going to the Mavericks, uh, a team where he's going to get yeah. at least a little more competitive run than he would get on the Pelicans. But I don't I don't have too much analysis as far as that goes. I 
Um, you know, he'll add some leadership for sure. But uh, that was the last of the the trades that I had made any notes on. Um, and I, I think that's a pretty comprehensive run of the uh, the main deals that went down. So thanks for scrambling with me to to get this reaction episode no. out. So much fun. Yeah. Um, and actually a correction, um, Brad, Brett Siegel, before we go, um, Lillard's still in the game. It is a right knee injury, not left. Um, this is quote Lillard was sitting in a chair during a timeout with the head trainer pointing to the outside of his right knee seems bothered by it, um, out on the court. So we'll kind of see what happens. You know, these guys, I mean, look at what's his name. Um, Clay Thompson, <laughs> I mean, he, I, he had a massive injury and he still tried to play through it. So these, these guys are unbelievably tough. So until they get an MRI or get checked out after the game, we won't know what, what officially happened. So just because they played through it, I don't think it's indicative of a major injury. So we'll just have to kind of we'll wait and see on that one. But Matt, yeah, thank for you sure. for um, yes, again the scramble um, to get this trade deadline special done. Lots of great content um, for our listeners and viewers to check out on our YouTube channel um, and our podcast feed. Um, we have our interview with Kelly Oubre Senior. Um, we have our interview with Matthew Gutierrez. Um, the NCAA tournament resumes, so check that out. That's gonna that was a really fun chat. So check that out about the Orange Men. Um, we have our interview with Robin Lundberg. We have a really interesting interview, speaking of Damian Lillard, with uh, Dan Morang of NBC Sports Northwest. Really interesting interview. If you want to know about Damian Lillard's just tough 18 months, please go check that out. Um, really just fascinating um, interview um, with him. Um, also, we have um, Brian Toparek. Um, we have Arter or Cal of ESPN. There's tons of interviews. I, mean, I can just spat them out all day. But <laughs> subscribe to our YouTube channel, please, to stay to get um, just up-to-date interviews with the most important um, influencers going on in the NBA. Not only that, but basketball culture in general, um, college, um, the women's game, um, NBA Top Shot, um, this authors. We, we we got that covered for you. Um, follow us on Twitter or in other social media um venues or i can't come up with the words but other social media outlets and facebook we have our video interviews so we're starting to upload those so our archives are now available on facebook so please go check that out as well so for matt thomas i am justin goodrum um send us an email at hoopsologypod at gmail.com and we will see you um this sunday actually i take that back that's a monday so monday um around morning afternoon you'll see the flagship show we'll break down again the ramifications from the trade deadline and any other um, nba news so we'll see you then peace